Kim, I, we didn't pass out those sheets. I forgot to if everybody get a sheet there. Sheet. I'd like to skip on purpose to the last of our distinctives, and I guess I'll do. Yeah, everybody can get one. Just pass those out, please. They, they weren't passed out, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, let me let me take one minute to review. Ninety seconds. Why Tim's passing out things here? But we've used an acrostic, of course, the name Baptist to define some fundamentals, some cardinal doctrines of the faith that are specific to Baptists that are not found in all denominations. In fact, many of them are not. Some of them are, uh, to one degree or another. The, the first one being the Bible, the only rule of faith and practice, of course. Uh, but uh, then we have the autonomy, the self-government of the local church. We are an independent Baptist church, and I don't say that with boast or pride. In fact, there's some flaws, and we won't go into that, but there's some flaws of independency. We have some danger of things to be... Uh, uh, on guard against, but without said, it's still a, a superior, uh, more biblical format. The, the, the churches are, are we're accountable individually to, as churches to the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we looked at the P, and the P stands for, for one word. Well, help me out. Priesthood, the priesthood of every believer. Every child of God here is on equal ground and has equality at the foot of the cross uh, and uh, to the the courtroom of uh, grace in our time of need because we all have the same high priest. Then we looked for several weeks at two ordinances. That's where we got, got bogged down. We spent four Sundays on talking about the, the institution of uh, the ordinance of baptism and then a couple of Sundays on the Lord's Supper. And again, we could spend several more weeks on both of those, but we pressing forward. Uh, next week, we'll look at the, the, the S and the Baptist acrostic which stands for a saved, baptized church membership. Lord willing, we'll delve into that next week. And then the T, which stands for two officers, pastor and deacons, and Lord willing, we'll touch on those next week as well. But I wanted to go on purpose. Uh, to, I wanted to go, because I, I, this lesson could take us a long time, and it's uh, been misunderstood by many, including Baptists. But we want to deal with the last S, uh, that of belief in separation of church and state. And uh, let me read it from our, this is from our own Constitution and bylaws on the back of the, uh, I'm looking on the back table right now, I guess there's none, none, none back there, there should be some, but anyhow, in the, uh, our Constitution and bylaws states uh, that separation of church and state, while the members of the local church are obliged to obey the laws of the state, the state should make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And I'd like you to take your Bible and turn to Matthew, Matthew 22, and we'll do a little bit of church history here in just a moment here. Matthew 22, the zealots of the five major branches of the Judaistic faith in Jesus' day, one of the branches would be known as the zealots, they were zealous for Israel, and they wanted to overthrow. Peter was a zealot. They wanted to overthrow Jerusalem, or rather, the Romans. And uh, so the Pharisees tempted Jesus, remember, when they asked, should we pay taxes? Remember, and I'm paraphrasing. And Jesus, of course, said these words in Matthew 22 and verse 21 that helps us understand this principle of separation of church and state, which we do believe in, in the proper interpretation of it. And that is... He said, then they, they say unto him, Caesar's, or pardon me, verse 22, uh, or let me, 
let me put my glasses on so I can read. Uh, uh, verse 21, rather. They say unto him, Caesar's. He asked whose superscription is what was on the coin, preceding verse. They say, and then saith he to them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. Uh, well, his name just slipped me. I thought I could just pull off the top of my head and I was drawing a mental blank. Maybe that's on purpose. But I know of a certain Baptist preacher. Uh, he's in jail. Oh, his name just popped in my head. I know who he is now. But I'll, I'll leave his name unnamed. He's a very famous Baptist preacher and he's, he's in jail today. He's been in jail for years for not paying his taxes. And he, and uh, in many ways, I think the man is a godly man. He's certainly an intellectual man. He's very godly in many ways. But I think he has a flaw in one area, and he went to jail for it, and he's still in jail, and he's taking it as a badge of honor that he's not going to render uh, that taxes are unscriptural somehow and that the income tax is not meant to be, uh, was forced upon us and illegal. And there's been people that have bleed that down through the last 100 years or so since we made taxes, uh, the income tax part of our country. But he's in jail for it. i be honest with you, I think he's wrong. It falls underneath what we call individual soul liberty. Uh, uh, there's a lot of things I don't like about government, and I don't have time to go into details with that. You all know my distaste, and some of you share the same distrust and distaste that I have. But I do like roads, paved roads. I do like to have a military. I do like to have certain things, safeguards that my government can provide, very limited government. But I do like our interstate highway. I don't like tolls, by the way. <laughs> That's another subject. In fact, I despise the thought of that, and you should too. But uh, I do believe we, there's a place, and I believe that God has ordained civil government. And we see that in uh, the dispensations. Let me do this quickly. But I think there is a dispensational change after Noah got off the ark. And uh, I think there's the age of human government. God said before the age of human government uh, that, uh, remember when Cain killed Abel? He didn't get the death penalty, did he? He was banished. But Jesus, or rather Jehovah God said, whoso shed man's blood by man shall his blood be shed. I, I, I see capital punishment. I see it in, in the gospel of grace. Romans says he beareth not the sword in vain. There's a place for government in our Christianity. And uh, it's a God-ordained government. And obey them that have the rule over you. And uh, uh, then, and uh, the Bible speaks about uh, that we pray for our kings and those in authority over us. And so we must do that. The Bible, there's, there's, uh, we don't reject all human government, but we know that human government has no part within in regards to the the religious beliefs of the of the house of God. I wanted to run one more uh, historical case study before we get into our lesson sheet. And uh, I, another preacher, I, I, the smile comes to my face because I can hear the preaching going on a little bit in my head uh, from this certain pastor that I'll leave unnamed who's been to our pulpit. And I love the guy and uh, he's a great guy. And you probably don't remember this, so I'll, I'll use it and I won't tell you who it is. But he was talking about history about our American history, and he was talking about uh, Lexington, Massachusetts, and the shot heard around the world. And some of you know the story where the, the 70 men on Lexington Green held off 300 redcoats, and the first shot was fired. And you know the rest of the story, most of you, at least in part. And uh, we don't really know who fired the shot, but 
the, uh, and I can't think of the, 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 the fellow's name, but the commander who was the deacon of the church right there on the green. Some of you went on that trip. The center green of Lexington, the white historic church is still right there, actually across the street. And some of you, I can see it in my mind's eye, the monument there, the Minuteman Monument. Now those patriots, those Minutemen stood and held off the, the British. Uh, and uh, the preacher made a big deal about the, the fact, and it is true, that uh, the, the deacon, he was the commander, and uh, they're, all, they were, they're all church members of this church, that Congregationalist church, and they were also in, in our militia and so forth. Well, that had to be that way because you couldn't even vote, you couldn't even, you couldn't even there were many things that you couldn't do if you were not a member of the Congregationalist church. There was a marriage in our, even our earlier country between Christianity and the church, and it was a wrong marriage, admittedly so. The Baptist couldn't have uh, uh, a Baptist preacher couldn't have uh, been in that brigade at that time because Baptists were unregistered churches, and uh, so there was, there's been a marriage of churches, a marriage of church and state in America, as we we saw and uh, we could go through our history and realize that we looked at it last week. Uh, Obadiah Holmes was whipped, and you can go to the monument right there in downtown Boston, a couple blocks away, a hundred yards away from where the Boston Massacre took place, right across the street from where D.L. Moody was saved. And you can see the placard right there. It's a big 20-story bank that sits there now. But the placard, there's where Obadiah Holmes, the Baptist deacon, was whipped almost to death for the crime of preaching the gospel without a license. And so we had uh, an unholy marriage between church and state in, in America. But let's look at, if we can here, I want to try to hurry through this because I want to get to the question and answer section but let's delve into this. Uh, I'm reading from the worksheet now. The First Amendment of the Constitution of the United States, 1787, reads, of course, Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people to peaceably assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Congress shall make no uh, law respecting the establishment of religion. It's sometimes called the Establishment Clause. And uh, I remember having the opportunity to testify. This is probably 10 years ago, maybe seven or eight years ago, but uh, my one and only time in front of a uh, judicial board, rather a uh, subcommittee of the, at the Carford Capitol, all, all, many of us Baptist preachers had two minutes to talk to uh, several of our senators and congressmen and uh, was in defense of the, the New England Baptist College, which uh, took the name college, but it's a non-accredited college. And they wanted to, uh, the state of Connecticut said, you can't have that name college in your name. And so my little portion, and I uh, had two minutes to explain that, that a state didn't have a right to hijack the, the English language and own a word that, that you had to pay $50,000, that was the cost, and, uh, that they wanted to, uh, a fee to be able to have that word college in your name. And they wanted to impose a $50,000 startup fee. So in order to form of taxes is what they wanted to do. And one of the senators, of course, questioned me, are you referring to this, the, that's just a, 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 it's an abridgment against the Establishment Clause? And, of course, the First Amendment he's talking about. And, of course, I said yes 
that, uh, that uh, you have no right to tell us what we can call our own institution. We'll call it a college if we want to. And, and I'd like to think, just for the record, that was seven or eight years ago. It wasn't just my speaking, but there was like 20 other preachers that preached or preached that spoke for two minutes as well. And they have let that thing lie. Uh, for the record, uh, the New England Baptist College is still illegal, but it's in, in uh, Connecticut, but it's able to go on because people stood up against Big Brother, and we're thankful for that. But anyhow, it says, nowhere, let's finish up the next paragraph, nowhere in the Constitution of the United States is the phrase separation of church and state found. Not a single, not even one, writing by any of, our, of our, the founding fathers of our country, including George Washington, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, uses the phrase in any of their public or personal writings. The only letter ever produced was with this phrase by any of the founding fathers was written by Thomas Jefferson to the Danbury Baptist Association in which he defended the separation of church and state from the, pardon me, defended the separation of the church from any state control. And uh, I alluded to this last week, of course, and I talked about John Leland from Cheshire, Massachusetts that came down and uh, January 1st, 1801, I believe the year was. In fact, it was January 1st. And uh, he delivered that 1,300-pound cheese. And the meanwhile, the Danbury Baptist Association, some of you know uh, Larry Maxwell. He pastors one of the seven churches that was in the, ba- the Danbury Baptist Association that was in existence in the 1770s, Patterson Baptist Church. And I, know, I, th- I think I know five of the seven of those churches. They're still in existence to this day, by the way. And uh, 240 years later, or 250 years, whatever it is, they wrote a letter hoping to get separation of church and state because in Connecticut here, we were the congregational estate. Now, by the way, just a quick history lesson, just so you know, uh, I, and there's a great book out there about John Adams, of course, it was just written a few years ago now, 10, 15 years ago now. They've done a mini-series on him, and I think John Adams was a Christian from what I gather. I've never read the book yet. It's one of those on the list of 200 books I want to read, you know. <laughs> I don't know if I'll get to it in my, this lifetime, but anyhow. Uh, he was a Christian, and he was a devout Christian. He said many good things about the Bible, but he wanted to have uh, state churches, or state, or each colony have their own state church. If you were a congregationalist, for example, you could come to Massachusetts or go to Connecticut. If you were a Quaker, you could go to Pennsylvania. If you were a Catholic, you could go to Maryland. And uh, if you were a New Yorker, you could, go to, uh, you could be an Episcopalian. And he wanted to make each colony have a state church. Well, that was rejected, of course, by our founding fathers, and thankfully so, uh, but in the formation of our country. But here's the definition of church and state for a separation of church and state. By separation of church and state, it's meant that the state is not to meddle or interfere with the affairs of the church, and the church is not to meddle or interfere in the affairs of the state. Now, uh, this is fresh because it happens every year, and I have on my desk right now a pink sheet. Uh, in fact, some of you know Bill Baldwin. He, he happens to be a believer in Christ, by the way. Uh, he's our fire marshal. And he came here on Sunday just a few months ago after the service. <laughs> he went to his church, and then he came here, and he checked our, our building, and he found a couple violations, and he was, just wrote some. They have to find something because that's their job, to find something. And they found two very minor things, whatever, but... Uh, uh, when we believe in separation of church and state, does that mean that we believe that, that we shouldn't be obedient to the laws of, 
uh, of uh, safety laws and so forth. And, uh, you know, we have license plates on our, well, well, uh, the so-called church car is really, it is church car, not my car, but then the, church, the, the bus, we have license plates that we pay a fee for. It's really a tax. We pay, pay those things. We pay when we go to the pumps, we pay gasoline, we pay a tax. And, uh, and yet we are uh, part of a church. Well, here's, let's just move on. Let's see if we can get, yeah, I'm looking at that clock here. Let's get through our, I'm hoping for some dialogue here and about maybe seven or eight, ten minutes from now. So let's look at the scriptural arguments or four points for regards to why we believe in separation of church and state. First of all, the nature of the church demands separation of the church and state. And it's, I don't have places on the worksheet, but of course there's plenty of room to write in there that, that the local New Testament church is to be comprised of baptized believers in Christ. We do not want a mandatory, as in early New England days in the 1780s and 1770s, uh, five, back to Lexington and Concord, Massachusetts. We do not want to make it a requirement that in order to hold a civil office or a military office, for example, or a, a place of uh, stature that you have to be, you must be required that you must be a member of a church. If that's the case, then and if you had to be a member of the church, of course, then you're, uh, the, then people would just naturally come into the church to, uh, so they could, for the power that they could derive therefrom. Uh, that's what Jonathan Edwards got in so much trouble for. After he preached in 1741, Sinners in the Hands of the God, and sparked, it was really the, the middle of, sometimes some people call it the Pentecost of the Great Awakening, the First Great Awakening, but, you know, Thousand people were saved in Enfield, Connecticut. They say overnight and one day, and and uh, sixty thousand to a hundred thousand, depending on who you know. Lord knows the number of colonists and Americans were saved over the next few years. That was 1741. In 1745, don't quote me on that. I, it might be 1749. I think it was 1745. Uh, Jonathan Edwards was voted out of his church in Northampton uh, by a vote of like 276 to 27. And he was voted out because he had the audacity to say what was happening because of the halfway covenant that his grandfather, Stoddard, had pro propagated in the Congregational churches some 50 years earlier. The halfway covenant was, in order to be a member of a church, we, we had people that were coming into our churches that were not baptized or sprinkled, and coming into Congregational churches, that is. And uh, they... Uh, they, they and they, therefore, they couldn't take the Lord's Supper. So they said, okay, well, fine, here's what we'll do. We'll make a halfway, we'll meet people halfway. Get your kid baptized, and then uh, you, can, you, can you, you, can be a, you can come and take the Lord's Supper from time to time, but you're not going to be a full-fledged member. It's a halfway, you, you're, half, you're half Christian is basically what it boiled down to. And Jonathan Edwards had the audacity to say, Getting baptized as a child doesn't make you a Christian. You must have a personal faith and relationship in Jesus Christ. And when he said that, of course, he propagated it to his own church. And he was a genius, and most of you know that, eloquent preacher. And uh, they rejected that by about 10 to 1. They said, no way, you're out of here. And uh, they, they kicked him out of the church. And uh, so, the, but the nature of the Baptist, or rather of gospel preaching churches is there must be a, 
You must have a saved, regenerate church membership. You've got to be born again in order to be a part of a local New Testament church. And so a secular, natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. And you can't expect natural man to, to uh, accept supernatural law and to, to live like a Christian ought to live. So the nature of the church demands separation of church and state. We do not want unregenerated church members telling us what to do. And if we marry a church and state like the Catholic Church does and other churches did in times past, where you have to be a member of a church, your unregenerated people are going to come in. And that's, that's a little leaven. The Bible says leaven is the whole lump. Uh, letter B, why do we reject a marriage between church and state? Well, because of the separate spheres of operation. One is spiritual, the other is physical or material or carnal or fleshly. John 8, 18 and verse 36 says, somebody read that for us so we can hear a fresh voice. John 18, 36, who has that for us? Somebody get that for us, please read that. The separate spirits of operation. Go ahead, somebody read that, please. 18, 36. Uh, let's go back to, uh, this is a good opportunity to go back to, uh, I think this has only happened once or maybe twice in the 40-year history of Roe v. Wade, but we talked about uh, uh, abortion uh, a couple weeks ago in uh, Individual Soul Liberty, we were talking about that subject. And I think only once or twice, correct me if I'm wrong, anybody know the, but you know, it was supposedly a Christian or Christian's where Adam and Milton Christians said somebody blew up an abortion clinic 30 years ago, if you remember right. I think it's happened like twice since Roe v. Wade. Uh, now, we believe abortion is murder, but do we go blowing up clinics? That, that's, that's what I, I would call terrorism. You know, some people could have been killed, and I don't think anybody was, but the left uses that big time, don't they? do they not? So we may take a stand against abortion, but we, we wrestle with the heart and it also leads to the question, well, what about legislation? Well, I'm going to try to get there here in a few minutes, so let's just postpone that uh, question here. Let's go on to number, letter C here. Why do we believe in the separation of church and state, or why do we, are we against a marriage between separation of church and state? Well, simply because of the command of Scripture. And let me give you some verses. 2 Corinthians six fourteen to 17. I think most of you know the passage here. The Bible says, Well, what concord hath Christ with Belial? And what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? Uh, the command for separation. And uh, they don't understand our world. Uh, when we were getting, uh, well, I'll just, I could tell you the lawyer, you, most of you know, the, almost everybody in this room would know the name if I mentioned the name, a long, long time Torian lawyer. And he was, we've had three, I think three lawyers over the years as, that I can recall since I've been pastor. And I remember uh, going in, I think we were buying this land. It was. We were buying this land that was 20-something years ago, 21 years ago. So I had to see attorney, and you all know him, at least in the name. And uh, so he had to see our Constitution and bylaws. 
And he was flabbergasted because he, he, he went, whether he goes there now, I have no idea. I imagine he does. He's a member in good standing probably of a certain church in Litchfield <laughs> and, uh, on the green there, so I'm getting specific. And uh, he said, uh, he was flabbergasted. He said, your constitution says that a woman cannot be a pastor of your, assembly, or your church. Is that right? I said, uh, well, yeah. He said, really? And he was just really taken back and shocked by that. He says, how can you, you get problems with that? And uh, he says, well, no, not our church. We don't get it. But you don't? I mean, he was just absolutely beside himself and said, okay, well, that's what it says. And you're, you're allowed to say that, you know. Yeah, that was before we had the clause in there about marriage should be between one man and one woman, you know, that we put in an addendum 10, 15 years back now. And uh, he'd really get a kick out of that one, I'm sure. But uh, it's the command of Scripture to be separate and touch not the unclean thing. Their world and our worlds do not merge. Then letter D, for sake of time, absence of New Testament from church-state union. Now, unlike, I just wrote this down as notes, so unlike, this is where we believe in a dispensational approach to the Bible. If we were Israelites... Let me run this rabbit trail for a while. There's Christians, and we have them that come to our church, I mean, from time to time. We have Christians trying to be Jews. Don't do that. You don't have to be a Jew. Jesus, nothing wrong with Jews. And we always, always say, you know, our Savior was a Jew. So we don't, we don't, we're not anti-Jewish by any means. We're pro-Jewish. But we don't believe that you have to become a Jew in order to receive the blessings, or that somehow we need to be married into the Jews. But if we were Jewish, then we would, and if we followed Jewish, we took the Old Testament, then we would have a theocracy, and we would try to promote a theocracy. What did, uh, I was just reading in uh, Joshua, the early chapters of Joshua. They went into Jericho, and what did they do? They killed everybody, men, women, and children, right? Ai, remember that battle? I mean, we just go through, and God said, wipe them out. Well, that's not the, we're not under a theocracy. You know, going back to the abortion question, or about the capital punishment question, and, and you know, I, I really, you know, I'm glad that, I'm so glad that, uh, let me just run this fast here. I'm so glad that Florida has a capital punishment law, and that the murder did not take place in, and uh, the, the Parkland shooting didn't take place in Connecticut because he'd be on death row for the rest, of, or he'd be on, be, we'd be paying for that murderer to be alive with our taxpayer dollars for till, till eternity, until he dies. And I think of Joshua Komacheski, and I uh, can't remember, it's too bad that I didn't even know the name, but the murderers of uh, Dr., what was his name? Dr. Pettit's, yeah. Stephen Hayes, isn't it sad that we know those names? And we're paying for their meals today, paying for their, ta- their care there today. And uh, it's just so sad. Uh, I, I've often said this, and I be careful, but I mean, if I had the chance, oh boy, uh, if I had the chance to rectify things, I'm afraid what I might do. I'm, I'm afraid that I might lose my Christianity for just a moment in time, if you know what I mean. And I, I would feel justified, but that would be taking the law into my own hands, wouldn't it? And I think you know where I'm going with that. And, uh, but we, 
We do not have a theocracy. America is not a theocracy, and that's the left is so worried that we're trying to create a, to make a theocracy, a rule by God. And then, well, there I go. I'm starting to get ahead of myself. In fact, you know, let's finish this up so we get to the questions I have in the back here. I want to so historical arguments. You know, if I read all this, is the argument from John Smith, one of the early English Baptists, of course. Uh, and uh, movement, and he rejected, of course, and along with Roger Williams, John Clark, uh, early American Baptist, and we read about Obadiah Holmes and John Crandall and John Clark and, and uh, Leland and Bacchus, and we read about them the, the other day. But letter B, uh, uh, historical argument, Baptist suffering in America for the principle. Uh, Baptist preachers were imprisoned. I wanted to read what Thomas... Uh, Uh, no, I can't read my own writing. Okay, we'll just skip. Uh, we'll skip that. I can't read it. Uh, oh, Thomas Paine. There it is. I get it out. Thomas Paine. He was an infidel, uh, but he was one of patriot, patriotic. Uh, but he 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 denied Christ. But he under he even understood separation of church and state in his own way. A letter C for the record. Uh, church state union brought Nazi control, and it's amazing in. Let me run this real fast here, just for the record. How could the state church of Germany, 1930s, what was it? Well, you know what it is. It was the Lutheran church. And of course, and, 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 and uh, how did they turn their back? You tell me that they didn't know about Auschwitz. They didn't know about, you know, Dau- uh, Dau- I'm thinking of all the prison camps or the internment camps, Dachau, I guess it is. And all the re- you tell me that they all were blind to what was happening? They knew what was happening. They saw those Jews getting uh, loaded on the cattle cars. They saw the smoke coming from the incinerator, the furnaces. They, they, they knew. Not everyone, and maybe only, maybe uh, not even a majority, but a solid minority knew what was going on for sure. How could they let that go on? Well, Martin Luther wrote a treatise 400 years earlier despising the Jews that they were the false Jews, that they were of the synagogue of Satan, Revelation 2 or 3. And it's called replacement theology. And by the way, it's alive and well today in many different forms. And it affects our churches, by the way. Replacement theology, that's, I'm getting off subject, but it's, it's really on subject. Watch out for these church-state union controls. It gave us the Nazi party. We could look, look the other way. Uh, practical arguments. Freedom, why, why do we believe in separation of church and state? Because the freedom of conscience is promoted. The Rhode Island became the colony of the Baptists, the Jews, and the witches. That's true. Now, the letter B, fair government is possible. You don't have to be a member of a particular denominational sect in order to... Uh, now, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 5. I'm going to leave about three minutes for five questions here, but Acts 5, one last verse. Now, when Peter was commanded not to preach and to teach in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, what happens if they come and tell us we can no longer preach in the name of Christ? What are we going to do? Well, we still have to preach. But now, Acts chapter 5, verse 29 Then Peter and the other apostles said, we ought to obey God rather than men. I gave the illustration a few weeks ago, and and, uh, there's a Baptist preacher within 100 miles of here. I've been 
we ate with his wife not too long ago, some of us in this room here, and uh, he's been arrested maybe, I don't know how many times, seven or eight, 10, 12 times for preaching the gospel. But I suspect on how he preaches the gospel. Uh, we have residences here in our own state of Connecticut or in our own backyard that uh, I'm thinking of Arbor Ridge, Arbor, Arbor Ridge, where the communities, well, help me out, where you pay a monthly fee for uh, your, uh, your uh, what do you call that? Uh, you know, well, we got several of them where gated communities, is what I'm talking about, and you pay a, pay a monthly, you know, the townhouses and the condominiums, you pay a monthly fee and so forth. And we got rebuked because uh, supposedly private property, and we weren't allowed to go door to door, and we were going door to door. And they came to me, I, I told you that several times here, that was a number of years ago. Now, I could say, I could say, we have the right, this is America. I can, I can knock on anybody's door I want to. But if they have a blanket law in that community, they all agree we don't want anybody knocking on our door, then should we abide by that or should we not abide by that? I think we should abide by that because they're just asking, if I knock on somebody's door, let me give you this illustration, and they don't want to open it, is that their privilege? Is that their right? Yeah, Absolutely. You're going to open this door and I'm going to tell you, no, that's, that's, that's ludicrous. So I wanted to spend uh, time here asking, addressing a few questions because I think there's much confusion in regards to this subject. Uh, how much participation, question number one I have, should Christians involve themselves with the political process? And no secrets, I was talking to Pastor Gill yesterday, just yesterday and on Friday, and he was just down in uh, D.C. this past week for a few days. And uh, he was talking about, we have a, in fact, he asked me if I, when we're going to have Andrew Phipps come in. Andrew Phipps is kind of an ambassador to Washington, D.C., along with probably, Lord only knows, maybe a hundred other guys that are trying to be ambassadors to Washington, D.C. as Christians. And I've seen Brother Phipps in action, and he does a wonderful job and a great job and so forth. But he's trying to persuade you know, politicians to return to the God of the Bible. I, I think that's noble. Pastor Gill was talking to me yesterday, and I'm sure I'll get the phone call or letter here soon. He was just at the uh, Awake America conference down in D.C. this past three days, and they highlighted a missionary, a Christian fundamental Baptist, that wants to be a missionary to basically a lobbyist to Washington, D.C., and I don't know how you feel, but I'm not saying that the, the brother is wrong. I would never say that. But I think there's, me personally, as pastor of this church, I'm just going to suggest to you, I think we can spend our missions dollars a little bit more wisely than that. And that we need to, we need to uh, on a local level, you know, I'd rather support churches and missionaries starting local New Testament churches. I'm not saying it's, but the question is, do we involve ourselves with politics, yes or no? Well, what, what, I think what's the general consensus in this room? I think the answer is yes, we do. How can we justify that? And I've got to do this quickly. Because I think we have a dual citizenship, that's why. And I, you say, what do you mean by that, preacher? Because Paul had a dual citizenship. Let me just, I, I'm running out of time. Do you understand? I guarantee you, now there's not many, but I don't know the demographics of, of southern Pittsburgh real well. But I, I did follow that election in case you, and uh, the, the Republican lost by about 500 votes supposedly. Now, I, I don't necessarily believe that, but that's, we'll accept it because we always do. We, with or without, they pull vote, you know, votes and voting, but whatever. 
We'll accept it because that's, we play fair, right? But I, I will guarantee you there are Mamish and Mennonite, not to mention some other Christians in that, that, that belt there, that Democratic district, that could have voted, only needed 500 more votes to overturn that election. But they chose, they said, no, we're not going to get involved with, with uh, Caesar, with big government. I think every Christian that could have voted that didn't vote, I think they made a mistake. That's, that's me, and, and I think they're wrong, and I think we can vote. But you see, we're, we're going to, in August, we'll go to back to Lancaster County, and there, you know, all those nice people down there, the Amish, are wonderful people, right? And they are, for the most part, I mean, as far as people go. And we'd like to have them as our neighbors and all that good stuff. But they don't vote, most of them. And their kingdom is not of this world, and that's the justification that they use. And by the way, just for the record, the Jehovah Witnesses are encouraged not to vote too. And I'm, by the way, I'm glad they don't vote. <laughs> and so, uh, but uh, uh, it'd be interesting to see who they voted for. But they, 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 they get out of the political process. And, uh, oh boy. I have five more questions here. But, you know, we have four minutes here. I'll tell you what.